Welcome everyone to POV Crypto, the only podcast that both Bitcoiners and Ethereans listen to. I'm David Hoffman here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? Doing good, man. I'm I'm really glad that I ran the shit out of MicroStrategy and everyone else that's going to FOMO into uh, Bitcoin in the next coming months. <laughs> Dude, MicroStrategy. So like, what's what's the deal? What's their deal? Like, how intentional? H- Hazu's take was that they are just going full yeet on it and they are just going to put so much Bitcoin on the balance sheet that the whole entire company just turns into a, a backdoor ETF. Like, is that, is that what, or are they just really extremely expensive? It's extremely expensive of an ETF. Why? Because mm. the price to Bitcoin exposure is is, is like six X you're paying six X as much for exposure to Bitcoin. If you're buying MSTR to do it. Okay. So for for listeners that don't know micro strategy first, I don't I'm, you're going to have to sharpen me up on the numbers. They first bought like $250 million worth of $450 million at that was their first purchase. Dollars, yes. Okay. With their entire with their entire cash balance. Right. Oh, wow. Their entire cash balance. Holy shit. Okay. So they bought. Then they made three more purchases. Right. Which mm-hmm. the last one was on was last week, and right. today they just announced that they are going to be offering up four hundred million dollars right. of debt, effectively convertible mm-hmm. notes, um, and they plan to use all the funds raised mm-hmm. to buy Bitcoin. Right. Okay. So this is the fourth instance, fourth instance they've had of purchasing Bitcoin. But this is the first instance that they are not just like taking their balance sheet and buying more Bitcoin. They are actually issuing debt to buy more Bitcoin. And then that debt is going to be convertible into shares of the company is my is my understanding of how this works. Right. Uh, so they are just loading up on Bitcoin. They're just putting as much Bitcoin as possible on the balance sheets. And so like what, what why this is interesting to me like first, first off the main reason why this is interesting is like at the very least there's 400 million dollars going into purchasing bitcoin over the next i don't know quarter i don't know how long this takes um i don't know how much 400 million dollars is to like add in as a buyer but i feel like that's a big number yeah it's a big number um I mean, that's equivalent to what their initial purchase was effectively, except that Bitcoin's twice as, as expensive at this point. Um, some things to know about Michael Saylor. So Michael Saylor and our good friend Greg Zuckerman knows Michael Saylor very well because Michael Saylor is a legend in the domain industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's a legend in the, in the domain industry. And then when the kind of mobile revolution was starting, uh, he wrote a book called The Mobile Wave. Um, and he, you know, foresaw, you know, iPhones and, you know, mobile computing taking over the world. And here he is now got domains, right? Got mobile, right? Loading up on Bitcoin. So he seems to have quite the track record of Mm -hmm. picking network effects. Yeah. Yeah. I I would agree with that take. He definitely comes off as a Bitcoiner too, like culturally and and his disposition is very much a Bitcoiner. Like he fits right in. He fits right in. When when he first kind of like came out, uh, there was some altcoiners and naysayers saying like, "Oh, he's just here to dump on you later on." But uh, everything he said since then has has you know kind of uh, you know depicted the opposite reality. So mm-hmm. um, I, I, he does feel like, for the most part, like a bitcoiner. Although we're going to talk about the uh, Stable Act, 
Uh, mm. He has said some things that uh, you know, yeah. hardcore Bitcoiners mm. find controversial in the last few weeks as well. So mm-hmm. I don't think it's uh, completely peachy uh, right. between, you know, the man, Michael Saylor, and, uh, you know, uh, the cyber hornets. He hasn't become completely indoctrinated yet. Is that, is that what you're saying? Well, I mean, he essentially his message that some Bitcoiners hated was that, right. hey, you know, you well, let, let's finish, let's finish that later. Let's yeah. finish that later. Let's finish up. Let's finish up the micro strategy. Okay, so so th- this time it's different though because they're issuing debt, and so yeah. like you you said that that it's probably a bad strategy to purchase micro the micro strategy if you want exposure to Bitcoin because like the ratio of shares to Bitcoin is just not there. Yet this seems to be what, what is the what's the end what why are we, why is microstrategy doing this like what is the end goal well, why are they issuing debt to purchase bitcoin what is the point of this is this to speculate on bitcoin no i mean like, is no, the company they, speculating on bitcoin you could say they're speculating on bitcoin but publicly what they have said is that they have taken a uh they have made bitcoin the reserve asset they're denominating their holdings into reserves and this is effectively the first speculative attack from a corporate on mm-hmm. the US dollar. So taking out debt to buy more Bitcoin is the idea behind the speculative attack. It's something that Pierre Richard has really uh, put out some good thought leadership on. Um, and it's just very interesting. Like I think a lot of individuals, maybe even hedge funds have been taking out debt to buy Bitcoin, but this is the first time a public company has to announce, hey, we're you know issuing mm-hmm. this kind of debt on, you know, on the company in order to you know, take raise funds to buy more Bitcoin. Um, and I, I think that Michael Michael Saylor is extremely bullish on Bitcoin. He thinks it's the future future of money and uh, he's going to position his company uh, as he sees fit. So, so is, I mean, it, is it, it's an entire, it, maybe not entirely, but like the motivations for this are probably largely influenced by um, the thought that the money printer is about to go burr over the next month. Uh, and so Michael Saylor's like, well, let's take all the Bitcoin we can get now, uh, because in the future there's going to be a lot more cash. So and maybe he's, but now, but now he's on leverage, right? Now he's on leverage. Yeah. Well, well I, the company well, is on leverage. I mean, I, it's, I mean, it's not even leverage. They're, like, they're just issuing, they're issuing convertible notes. So right. I mean, so like he's doing the same thing that the Federal Reserve is doing with his uh, company equity. He's making the micro strategy equity equity printer go burr to load up on Bitcoin on the balance sheet. That's like another interesting because there's two printing. There's two printing going on right now. There's the dollar printing, which is motivating this in the first place. But then micro strategy is able to print shares in their company to load up on Bitcoin. Like that's also interesting. Just kind of like shitcoiners uh, print their shitcoins to load up yeah. on Bitcoin too. That's it's, exactly it's, uh, right. It's a tried and true strategy. Yeah. Let's print all the things that we can print so we can buy the thing that we can't print. Like, hmm, there's a story there. I think it's the story of the 20s. Yeah. So, yeah, or I guess, is, is this the, what is this? Is this the 30s now? I don't know how to. No, <laughs> this, is we, no this is the 20s. No, we're, no, we, still, we just, we're technically still in the 2010s. Yeah, yeah. Okay. If that's, well, if that's the, the tens is this is the end of the tens. Yeah, yeah. Twenty. Sure. There's going to be a lot of printing in the twenties. That's for sure. Okay. Should we get into the what Michael Saylor said about um, compliance with the state? I mean, he didn't even like make a super, like super strong statement, in my opinion. From what I can tell, is you know he's just saying that you know we're going to have to work with the powers that be for the time being, and 
I mean, that obviously doesn't make every Bitcoiner super happy. There's a lot of Bitcoiners that have not nuanced takes on that. Um, I don't really know. Like, I, my, Michael is clearly a visionary and a boss and has a ton of capital that mm-hmm. he's willing to um, to buy Bitcoin with. So uh, I think he's ultimately good for Bitcoin, but he's also a newbie, in my opinion. He's still right. new to Bitcoin. He hasn't right. gone through uh, the craziness that is about to unfold. Um, mm-hmm. And he hasn't gone through the bear market yet. So, um, you know, there's just a lot to learn and we'll see if his opinion changes over time. Uh, okay. So do you, do you happen to have the tweet in front of you by chance? Uh, no. Okay. Not really. Uh, so, so what he, the con, the conversation going on right now is like, how much does like Bitcoin need to respond to like regulatory constraints or does it at all? And like what Michael Saylor said and what Raul Paul has said and what like a a number of the new entrants into the space, what they're saying is like, you know, to some degree, Bitcoin is going to have to comply with state regulations, like at some somehow, like, and obviously like the state is not going to change up like Bitcoin core, right? Or issue like new node updates. That's not what we're talking about. What we are talking about are like entities like Coinbase, derivatives, exchanges, blah, 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 blah. The way, some of the way that the Bitcoin network is expressed is going to be mediated by the state. And this is kind of where I think some Bitcoiners that argue against this perception is are kind of like naive because like there's no way that like, to, to say that Bitcoin isn't going to be regulated by the state is to basically say that there is no state, right? And that's not true. There is a state that is ha, does have interest in making and then controlling the way certain assets are expressed inside of their realm of control. Like we all love our non-sovereign protocols. You, you guys, we all love Bitcoin. We all love Ethereum, and these are all these are all non-state like separate entities. But when it comes to the matter of what you do as a as a hunk of meat in physical space, what you do in your country is relevant to your country. And so your relationship with the, the protocol is somewhat mediated by the state, right? And so some people are like, well, yeah, well, fuck it. I'm not listening to the state. And other people, very public pe- uh, people like Michael Saylor that have a lot to lose uh, are like, sure, we're totally going to comply with the state. Why wouldn't we? Right. And this is the debate being talked about with the, with Michael Saylor and, and the Cyber Hornets, but also with the Stable Act, right? And this is the conversation on the Ethereum side of things right now with the Stable Act. And the Stable Act is basically asking people to like, not asking Ethereum node operators or telling people, it's telling Ethereum node operators that they have like a responsibility to not process any transactions that are illegal, right? And so like, this boils down to like, state approved, like, uh, uh, client updates for your Ethereum node, which is fucking ridiculous, right? Um, and so, like, and that's also why, and, and I think the point that I that I want to make about Bitcoiners that that give uh, resistance to people like Michael Saylor when they say that Bitcoin is going to have to integrate with the state is like, sure, we all love our non-state money, but that doesn't stop us from donating to en- institutions or entities like Coin Center, which are fighting the regulatory fight, like. If, if Bitcoin is going to be perfectly like immune from state control, like why even have Coin Center then? Like, why do we even need them? Like, no, like we, we yeah. need Coin Center. There is, a, there is a meeting point between these two ecosystems and where that point is can be moved left and right. And if we put effort into it, like we can fight the battle in our favor. So like, I think like nodding your like hand waving away people that criticize uh, Sailor and Raul Paul for like not talk or for talking about how the state and Bitcoin are going to integrate. I think that's pretty naive. 
Yeah, so I mean, I think you presented a relatively nuanced take, and uh, most of the people that are pretty upset about it, they either believe that the right take is never waver, or it is not nuanced. Right. So, I mean, I don't know what to say. Um, generally speaking, uh, I, I think that uh, Pierre Richard has had really great responses to the stable acts as well as other things, but it's like this shows we need to take an offensive. The best defense yep. is an offense, and yep. we need to you know, make sure that mining is tax free and make sure that all these things, you know, uh, that are necessary for these ecosystems to thrive um, mm -hmm. are in place. And to be to be honest, like, it is hilarious to see Bitcoiners like get all peeved at Michael Saylor when he's saying like, hey, you know, we can take over within the system. Mm -hmm. Effectively, that's what he's saying. And then on the flip side, just see him the very next, you know, business day, demonstrate how you can take over within the right. system right. it's perfectly legal to <laughs> issue stocks <laughs> again you know that are denominated in usd and buy bitcoin with it mm -hmm. you as long as you say that's what you're going to do as a public company it is perfectly legal to do that so um i mean the way i, I see it is the open source revolution is just infinitely and permissionlessly iterating and the regulators you know, they're going to try to get in front of it, but ultimately they will not be able to, they will fail. And I think this is a great example of Bitcoin fixes this by breaking mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, ultimately that's what's going to happen. So, right. I mean, Bitcoin fits into this model, Ethereum fits into this model, all that kind of stuff, you know, fit into this, into this model. And uh, I mean, the government is just not competent enough to, right. to, to take it all down. I, I, and I, I think the way that Michael Saylor is like, quote unquote, attacking the whatever legacy system, the regulatory system by selling dollars and buying Bitcoin is the right is, is playing to Bitcoin's strength as an as as a as an entity, as an institution. Right. Because like we can either we can either win, uh, we can win against the state regulators in, in pro in favor of Bitcoin and Ethereum by either going toe to toe with them. And just like, you know, citizens like not complying with laws, not not complying with taxes, not not complying, right? Like straight up, you know, you versus me. Or there's like the parasite model or like the, yeah, the, the parasite model, which I think is much more relevant to and much more uh, resonant with how these systems work, where, you know, instead of battling these institutions, we infiltrate them from the inside out and consume them from the inside out, right? And so like Bitcoin, uh, all the politicians of the United States like buy Bitcoin and start like making pro Bitcoin regulation, right? Same thing, like anything, same thing with Ethereum. Like that seems to be like the much more peaceful, much more viable, much more likely like path forward rather than going and like, you know, outright well, it, it is a lot more likely. Yeah. It is definitely a lot more likely. It's, it's the water flows downhill like outcome. Like that's how I see this playing out. Yeah. Well, I would, I would argue that Bitcoin is like water. Can't stop it. And it's going to get everywhere. And each of these individual, because like, because these systems are backstopped by greed, mm -hmm. you can't stop individuals from being greedy and then getting a huge bag and then now being incentivized. Like the first principles of like, you literally have to have skin in the game to care. And once you do, you care like mm -hmm. underestimated. It's just so right. underestimated. And if, if the state ever like banned Bitcoin, so like the people couldn't get it. I'm still bet the state itself would put Bitcoin on its balance sheets. Probably 
Like just because the state banned the people from having it didn't mean they banned themselves from having it, which means all the same incentives to own Bitcoin still exist. And if you are the state, there's no one banning you from buying it. And so you're still going to buy it. Like you're still going to buy mine it and mine it. Yeah. Right. Look like, at Venezuela. Right. You're, you're just like limiting your people from it instead. So which is a dumb choice. Dumb choice. States dumb choice. are dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Do dumb things. Um, yeah. I mean, like, dude, uh, I feel like Bitcoin and, and the greater crypto adoption is is really going to start uh, exposing malicious states. Mm. Um, just like coronavirus is exposing malicious states. So, right. yeah, it's it's a polarizing technology, right? Like, really makes you make a, uh, in, it really forces you into a corner about like how you manage yourself as a as a nation, right? Like, yeah. No. How, how dominating do you want to be? Like, let's see it. So it's a big litmus test. Yeah, litmus test is what I was going for. That's what I was looking yeah. for. Mm -hmm. um, what else were we going to talk about? Okay, so let's talk specifically about the Stable Act. Uh, I have mm -hmm. my opinions. We're actually covering it on Bitcoin Magazine in the next few days. Mm -hmm. um, what 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 have been your impression so far? And I think the Stable Act is something that is very much not like a Bitcoin or Ethereum thing. It's very much a like freedom. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a freedom thing. It's like, right. you know how invasive are we going to let these laws get so like I, I need to look into the stable act more and because i can't totally speak on it but also from what i understand it might be the whole entire thing and basically the stable act is like stable coin uh, stable anyone that interacts with a stable coin or issues a stable coin needs to be a bank or needs to have like a bank charter which like one of the motivations for the act itself are to like not repeat the uh the mistakes that banks have made with regards to like not serving the underserved population and like the poor. And so it's therefore making stable coin issuers and people, and I think entities that accept stable coins and it, it makes them become a bank, which is fucking ridiculous that, that those two things are not separate. Those are separate things. Like those are not related to each other. Uh, how the details as to how they plan to actually, or how they intend on like regulating stable coins and, and stuff that go around on Ethereum. I don't know the details of that, but kind of, I think the answer might just be because like, it's so harebrained anyways, that it wouldn't, it doesn't make sense at all. Like I, from, and from what I gathered, like, like I said, at the early, early part of this podcast, like if you extend the ethos of this law, we get like state approved, like client updates for our ETH2 nodes or like maybe issued straight from the government because like somebody has to issue software that stops like USDC or DAI or Tether transactions going to specific wallets or contracts. And so there needs to be, it's basically asking to like whitelist or, or restrict economic activity, specific types of economic activity. And so like that is like, who's going to issue those updates? Like who who's going well, to determine what's going to happen? So, so just to jump in here, right? Mm -hmm. It started off with, Hey, every stablecoin issuer must be a bank and must right. go through regulation if you're going to tether to the dollar. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that was how it started, and then it went to, well, if there's an autonomous contract issuing dollars or stablecoins, like who's the counterparty? Who are you going to go after as a government? And then one of the writers and you know the person who ended up you know doing most of the debating on on Twitter, Rowan Gray, who's a lawyer. Um, thought leader, whatever, honestly, prick MMT or in my opinion, but that's just me. Um, but 
you know, he says, well, there's always a counterparty. <laughs> and then, you know, we kind of followed that logic all the way to, okay, well, if there's no, if there's truly no counterparty, then the nodes are, are the counterparty and the people that are running that the how, network. Are the the logic flow? Jesus. That's, that's how the logic flow went. Then the nodes are the counterparty. And Hey, if you don't want to be held liable and you're a node, then you need to make sure that you're not processing any illegal um, transactions. Um, so obviously this is a very, like the people who wrote it intended to be that far ranging. Mm -hmm. Can it be feasibly, um, you know, can, can it be feasibly enforced? Absolutely not. We already know that it's a fact that it's yeah. not enforceable whatsoever. No. Um, but the idea is there is that, hey, we don't care if this thing's decentralized. At some mm -hmm. point, someone's going to be held liable. And we are going to and we want to make sure that we can go after them if you're going to, you know, do something that we find is illegal to the US. So like if you as an Ethereum node operator processed a block that in included a, a transaction that led to like drug trafficking or deaths or whatever, you are or, liable. Or that had a dollar token that didn't have yeah, the right. yeah. <laughs> licensing. It's like what's like, we're not even talking about actually a victim, a crime with a victim. Right. These mm -hmm. are also victimless crimes. Right. So like to me, what's weird about this Rohan guy is like he both gets it as in like understands how the he network gets it a lot. Archi architected. But then he also doesn't get it. Like for some reason, he like no one who understands this industry, and maybe I'm the asshole, but no one who understands this industry thinks that you can censor a transaction. Like that's the whole point. That's well, the whole point. David, he is a statist. He is an right. MMT -er. The big statist. So actually, I I researched him a lot because I researched MMT a lot for mm -hmm. something that Bitcoin Magazine did in August. But um, he's Australian, he's, right? I, you know, I don't know his background. I think he's Australian, which is funny because like Australia is becoming more and more status by the day, but sorry. Oh, I it's incredibly status place. But um, in general, uh, in general, like he believes in the power of the government and he's actually very well read in cryptocurrency networks and stuff like that. Like he definitely fucks around with, um, you know, crypto in terms of like is interested in it. But at the flip side, like, he believes that there is lawfulness. He believe, you know, I feel like he would he would agree with Vlad Zamfir a lot. Um, and he would even like go a even conversation. further. <laughs> yeah, like well, but he's he's a lawyer who acts like Vlad, and he right. and he, but and he instead of being a Ethereum developer, he's you know, a lawyer. So <laughs> you could tell what his you know initial disposition is. Right. Yeah. Like. And someone is asking, why doesn't the Stable Act go after money transmitter parties like PayPal? First of all, PayPal is a bank now, so they would they would be okay. But yes, it does. It counts for any fintech. So it does not matter if it's a crypto stable token or if it's just a stable dollar thing inside of your uh, inside of your servers and your you know it's on your whatever your private. You know, your private fintech app, it doesn't matter. It's extremely far ranging. Right. I mean, it will get challenged by a lot of money. You yeah. know, there's going to be a lot of money that won't allow yeah. this to happen. But I mean, it just shows where their where regulators heads are at. Well, one one thing it did was uh, incentivize a lot of uh, funding into the Gitcoin grants, uh, uh, the Coin Center Gitcoin grant, which they received like they're going to like receive a quarter million dollars from the Ethereum community <laughs> plus matching out of Gitcoin. So pretty proud, like the Ethereum community could step up and donate a quarter million dollars. It's pretty dope. 
Yeah, Gitcoin is uh, really awesome infrastructure and the Bitcoin community is way behind in terms of that kind of infrastructure so far. Um, Just use Gitcoin. Just use Gitcoin. Yeah. Well, I mean we'll see we'll see the how how that trends. But I, I have a feeling that people it's will been, be using Gitcoin at some point. The, the volume of money on Gitcoin has been up and to the right like every single quarter. I think we're gonna break breach a million dollars. Um uh, donated this quarter. That's awesome. I mean, hey, I think that's a great project, and I I enjoyed the interview that we did with uh, Kevin, Kevin, right? Kevin Owaki, yeah, yeah, great guy. So that was a good interview. Uh, we didn't get too uh, we didn't get too into the BTC versus ETH in that one, but uh, it was still a good one. Yeah. Um, um, what else? But so, like, let let's just zoom out a little bit because this is not like the Stable Act in the grand scheme of things. It's not going to pass. Like it was written by a fight. It, it would, yeah, like, but it's, it has the energy of the fight. Yeah. You know, that's, this is the energy of the fight is we need to make sure we're banking everyone and COVID hurt our citizens so much. And by regulating this stuff, it solves all the problems. Right. Oh, and by the way, there's this after effect where like 90 other things become, you know, Shit. under our jurisdiction yeah, right. now. Mm -hmm. Right. That's, that's the energy of the fight. Like that's what mm -hmm. is in front of us. Um, so like, you know, as an Ethereum, what's your perspective on it? Because I think that this is going to be very important for ETH2 staking exchanges and that kind of stuff. Mm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's definitely riling up the Ethereum community. I mean, it's Ethereum-specific legislation, so as, as it should. Um, but, I mean, I, I don't really have, like, the. I think you would expect my take. Like, no, no one in the Ethereum world wants this or anything like it, right? And this is something that me and Ryan have been like <clears throat> chewing on in the back of our in the back of our heads late, lately because like we know this fight is coming, right? And so we're trying to like part of, part of the mission of Bankless is to, to try and rally up an army of people so that when something like this comes, like we actually can like coalesce the energies of so many dis like separate people out in the ecosystem and, and get them get their attention on quote unquote the fight, right? Um, that's kind of our, where, where our hats are at. And also we're also having Peter von Wolkenberg. Uh, is that how you pronounce his last name on uh, the show tomorrow? Um, you're muted, uh, on the bail. Yeah. Oh, nice. Dope. Um, so he's coming on the, the state of the nation tomorrow. So we're, we're going to chit chat about him about like, how, what do we need to do to protect this, this online nation? It's actually kind of funny. Uh, we're, we're covering the same thing, uh, on our respective platforms, but, nice. uh, yeah, I think on Wednesday we're putting out uh, a piece and in an interview with Pierre Richard, who had an just unbelievable ratio on Twitter. Uh, Dude, with, I've with really Ryan. been appreciating Pierre uh, during this whole ordeal. Like when it's Bitcoin versus Ethereum, like Pierre is just like another annoying Bitcoiner. But like when when we're actually like shoulder to shoulder fighting the same fight, I really enjoy having Pierre on my side. Yeah. Now he. It, his his Twitter IQ is very high. Let's just say that. <laughs> That's a good description for sure. Yeah, but I I retweeted I retweeted uh, it from yesterday. But essentially, Rowan says something like, you know, crazy thought. But you know, if you run a network that is responsible for illegal things, you might be held liable. Something along those lines. Right. Then, oh, I know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then Pierre says, you know, crazy thought. If you, or no, if you vote and pay taxes, does that mean you're liable for the incarceration and, and murder that happened in Iraq? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then just like that tweet, I think the, the Rowan tweet had like two likes and like two? 90 comments. And then it was like the Pierre tweet had like 2000 likes, like 400 retweets. It's just like, 
people are just like, dude, this is like you are contradicting yourself, you right. asshole. Right. Like, there's no way that your standard can stand up to any sort of mm-hmm. precedent. And then Pierre just like puts it like like so clearly how ridiculous he truly was, and no response from Rowan. No response. Oh, of course. Oh, of course. Like, when how you... can you respond after that ratio? Like, that is the ratio oh, of I'm, all ratios. I'm sure he could. I'm sure he could. But like, if you get ratioed four thousand to two, like you've already like you don't you shut up you you stop talking there's nothing more to say yeah i think you just mute it <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> you and move on yeah <laughs> just put your tail between your legs and, and and carry on but yeah so uh not so we're gonna get some pierre uh pierre takes on this on bitcoin magazine so i'm excited for that nice. um let's wait let, so before i hit you with the hard questions about you mm-hmm. two and mm-hmm. why i'm bullish on proof of work you know what what's been it's been a week since or a little less than a week since eth2 beacon chain has been launched mm-hmm. we've seen some uh you know beth tokens getting launched we've you know we've seen a lot of money get put into eth2 in general mm-hmm. like and people are staking and you know people are posting pictures of their mind of their staking computers and stuff like that what's the overall sentiment on eth2 and how are things going in general yeah, pe- people are really, really bullish. There's over one percent of all ether is which is currently staking, and and kind of the mental models I've always always given ether for like the bull case of of ether is somewhere around like twelve to eighteen percent staking, and that, that's like at complete maturity. So that's got to be in like a full cycle from now, so four to five years. Um, but you know, we're we're marching our way there. We're at we're at one percent. How do you come up with those numbers? Um, well. Because it's say say it's ten percent, right? Say ten percent of ether is staked, uh, and the market cap of ether right now is like fifty billion, um, and so that means five percent uh, is being staked to the network. And so, like all the tokens on Ethereum, th- there's got to be some sort of balance between the market cap of tokens on Ethereum and the market cap of uh, the total amount of uh, ether being staked, right? So, if there's five billion ether being staked. Um, we're, we're generally okay with it being relatively top heavy. And so I think like a somewhere between a, a 10 and 100 to one ratio of capital being staked at the base layer versus market cap of the actual chain, um, not including the rest of the ether is like the right ratio. So if we have 5 billion staked, then we can have 50 to 500 billion worth of value uh, secured. That, and these are just like, these are just gut numbers. These are just gut numbers. Uh, we actually did release a, a video with Vitalik on the Bankless post where we did talk, uh, or Bankless YouTube where we did talk about this. Um, so like, there's a ratio of like what of like how much security needs to be uh, staked versus uh, you know how much the net the chain is actually worth. And then there's the question of like, okay, so if if twelve to if ten, let's say call it fifteen, if fifteen percent of ether is staked, that means an attacker needs another fifteen plus one percent of ether. Right, and that means that's thirty percent total ether. And like, uh, if we also have like twenty percent of of ether, twenty to thirty percent of ether, uh, you know, stuck in DeFi, and you know, the remainder is kind of just loose. Accessing, a, you know, an equal amount of fifteen percent seems like really impossible. Um, and so that pro- that number could all probably all the way go down to like ten percent. Okay. If ten percent is stake, wow. accessing ten percent more total ether, it would be really really hard. That's how, that's how we got on Coinbase. Okay, that, that that's a different that's different. So yeah. no, but it's not because that is that's the attack vector. 
Well, no, is, no, because then, then we do exchanges this. offer offer incentives to stake there, mm -hmm. and then that's where you get the twenty percent. Right. Okay. But then then we get into the, just the, the um, how it, it, proof of stake is partially secured by this by, by the social layer, right? And so if something if somebody does something wrong with their stake, we just fork where they weak token. subjectivity. Yes. Mm hmm. But there's insane incentive to not do this. It's like it's like if if there's no weak subjectivity, then proof of stake is all PG. But there's nothing wrong with weak subjectivity. Why? I don't why, know. Would there, I think why would there any, be anything wrong with that? Like I have I never been like, pretty nasty coming on to onto uh, this show and talking about proof of stake and how like weak subjectivity is is weak. Like I can never figure out like what their arguments are. Well, because you could argue that we already live in a world with weak subjectivity. What that the true mean? revolution is the true. I mean, we have systems that are based on that are based on everyone kind of agreeing and like they can be malleable and they can be influenced and they can be shifted. Mm -hmm. And I mean, what Bitcoin offers is straight, hard objectivity. It's like impossibly and like unchangeably objective. It's like there's zero subjectivity whatsoever. Um, so like, I'm not to even say that weak subjectivity can't work. It's just, I just and don't think it's going to be as valuable. It's not even that weak. It's like the only thing that's weak is like, it, it's not weak. If Coinbase has a bunch of supply and starts like being malicious, Wait, that's not weak. It's how to route around Coinbase. That's the weak subjectivity part. Like it's not, uh, it's not objective as to whether Coinbase so, is. I mean, the, the, the terminology is weak subjectivity, but I guess what I'm, what I'm saying is that is what we don't like is mm -hmm. that there is any subjectivity at all because it is when you are being like attacked mm -hmm. it's not always obvious what is the attack and that is where the weak subjectivity breaks down because you have to coordinate on consensus on what is the attack and right. that is you can't always assume that that's going to be obvious i you you can't assume that knowing what the attack is is going to be obvious. Yes, if it comes if it comes down to like whether a transaction is getting included or not, like that, it's not up for debate. If if Coinbase is doing something that is atypical from the rest of the clients, that's that is obvious. That is obvious. And so, like one of the one of the reasons that why like Bitcoiners arguing about this is is so frustrating is like, first off, like it's the threat that keeps this from being a thing in the first place, right? Like the just the mere existence of this as a as a security mechanism means that Coinbase will never ever do anything malicious because we will delete all of their ether, right? That's the thing that prevents this from ever getting there. Is see, like that's the thing is like I don't think that just deleting Coinbase's ether is that easy. If it comes down to it, there's going to be a fork and there's going to be a lot of economic power. Yeah, delete Coinbase's either. I, I just don't care to entertain like these like edge case what ifs. Like these, this is not going to happen. They're not even that edge case. <laughs> yes, they look, look at the stable act. They will want to decide what software you want run, and they will try to find they the accountability or liability. Which is which? Like, no, I don't want to run software that that censors transactions. Like this is not a hard thing. 
again, that's why, again, I, I think that proof of work is necessary. And look, Ethereum has Bitcoin. Ethereum can always tr trade against Bitcoin. Like we don't need to have multiple things that are exactly the same. So maybe Ethereum just doesn't need it and it doesn't matter. And Ethereum is going to make it through because in reality, Ethereum is in a world with Bitcoin. But I'm just saying that there's a lot of confusion out there that, hey, you know, proof of stake with weak subjectivity is just as good with, you know, none of the trade-offs as proof of work. And it's just different. And proof of work, there's no subjectivity at all. It's right. the longest yeah. chain and that's it. Sure. Especially and if there's no hard forks. If the thing is like, at the end of the day, if it works, it works, right? So that, that's going to be the thing that determines whether what platform people adopt. Like, does it work or does it not work? Yeah. I mean, and people will adopt broken financial systems, but at the day, at the end of the day, like there is a drive for better money and that's what Bitcoin offers. So, I mean... I don't know if the powers that be are going to be strong enough to take down the Ethereum network, but um, I mean, I don't know. I don't necessarily know. Like, I feel like the fact that there is something that they just, we know for a fact that they can't take down, like at least, at least that's there. At least that's the backstop. That's the true risk-free, yeah. you know, that's the true risk-free-ness. You know, I think like, like, Bitcoin is risk-free crypto, and then all the other cryptos are some derivative of like risk right. to reward layer on top of it. Right, and one of Vital one of many Vitalik's pieces was about like, well, you know, can you how do you give up the minimum amount of like trust or risk or whatever, and then reach like complete what he called escape velocity, which is just like, and then also get everything else that you want. Like you give up a little bit, but then you gain so much in a different direction. And that's like the trade-off that Ethereum has made. Like we have committed to weak subjectivity, which in our opinion is just like not that big of a deal. And then we get everything else. We get like lower issuance. We get tighter security. Uh, we get we get flexibility with issuance with fee burn. We get smart contracts. We get internal reasons and internal safety in our own internal ecosystem. Like, and all of that came out of like of just moving an inch away from just like whatever whatever you want to call Bitcoin to to proof of stake. Yeah, I mean, we'll see if that's good enough. Well, now we're finally staking. And so yeah, at the very beginning of this podcast, I'm pretty sure it was the, of the opinions of, of you and other Bitcoiners that came on that will never get to this point. So we are continuing the march forward. Yep, so is Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. I, would, I, would argue that, uh, I would argue that in this idea of like, what can we compromise on in order to get everything else? I would say that, I mean there's a great way that you can align Bitcoin with that narrative as well is that, okay, Bitcoin may have compromised on on-chain expressivity, mm -hmm. but what it didn't compromise on is just complete objectiveness, um, complete trustlessness. Um, and then from every, from there you've established a unit that can be used on any other platform and leveraged. Mm -hmm. uh, and I mean, that that's kind of like you know the similar narrative you know one one trade-off in order to get the world um mm -hmm. you know the the trade-off of uh of whatever of uh expressivity is kind of gained by now you kind of just have this incorruptible unit 
Yeah, but the, the, by that that same vein, like that unit doesn't need to like be as big as the whole world, right? Like, or or that unit doesn't need to the ratio of the market cap of Bitcoin or using a Bitcoin as a unit or any other Bitcoin unit, like for example, you can measure bigger things with smaller units, right? Like I am six feet tall, like we, we can, and so that's six units, right? And so like the market cap of Bitcoin doesn't need to be large for that unit to be expressed regardless, right? And so the, the trust-free yeah. rate of the Bitcoin unit can be stacked up to measure anything and that thing can be bigger than itself. I mean, yes-ish, but money ultimately is half of every transaction if money is not if the thing is denominated right. in that money like there are more yuan units out there than there are dollar units mm -hmm. but if you look at contracts denomination it's 98 percent dollar denomination i think the in terms of total units out there in the world mm -hmm. like dollars are like 20 percent of them but in terms of economic relevance it's like 100 percent. sure I think, so, I, think we, I think we've gone in a little spiral here. <clears throat> Should we wrap this up? I mean, but I mean, I'm just bringing up an example of like, okay, I mean, sure. That doesn't, I guess what you're trying to say is that Ethereum can still be bigger than Bitcoin. Yes. Yes. And Bitcoin still like the world money. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just feel yeah, I like I don't really think Ether's money. Uh, and and we've talked about this. Like the the whole plant in the flag from the Ethereum community like, "Oh, Ether's money." It's like, "No, that what they meant to say, what they're saying is like Ether's valuable." Ether as a transactional currency is like not going to happen. It's going to happen with some high velocity token on Ethereum. In the same way like Bitcoin is like the low velocity token to the world, Ether is the low velocity token of like the Ethereum ecosystem. Um and the overall ecosystem is going to be really really big and it's probably going to be bigger than Bitcoin. Because because it enabled it via expressivity. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe the apps will. I feel like Bitcoin's just the sound money app. So yeah, yeah with that, not. it has a massive TAM. Mm -hmm. Totally. Totally. Um, and I, it can be expressed yeah. on Ethereum. Sure, yeah. But <laughs> the sound money app, the app layer, so that's where I think is the, the value capture is going to be. Um, yeah, it's going to yeah. be on Ethereum, it's going to be on many, and it's going to be on many other platforms as well. Mm -hmm. All right, let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it up. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. You guys can follow the podcast at POV Crypto. You can follow me at Trustless Date, both on Twitter and on Bankless. Christian? Yep, you can follow me at CK underscore Snarks. Uh, you can find me at P, or sorry, you can find uh, the show at POV Crypto. You can find me at Bitcoin Magazine. And uh, yeah, have a great one. Peace.